My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Greetings and salutations to all the Eumenidites out there. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, bringing you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. As promised, today I'm bringing you the second part of Shakespeare-adapted Hamlet, in which I discuss the movie I lovingly refer to as Safari Hamlet, Disney's The Lion King. But before I do that, I want to recognize some Eumenidites out there who may be new listeners. In the U.S., I want to give a shout out to my new listeners in Massachusetts. I think it was in Boston where the infamous production of Private Lives that I go over in episode 20 had its out-of-town tryout. Ooh, boy, and it had a bunch of hilarious critical reviews. So keep up the good work, Boston. And even though I've called them out before, I want to say hello to my listeners in Australia, as one of them reached out to me recently. Olivia Ruggiero from Sydney is a classically trained singer specializing in opera and musical theater, but Olivia is also a writer, actor, performer, director, producer, etc., etc. So anyway, uh, Olivia reached out to me through the Euripides Humanities Instagram account, and we hit it off really well. Olivia will even be appearing in an upcoming episode, possibly with one of the young actors in her upcoming production of Little Women, the musical. This will be playing June 1st through the 4th, 2023 at the Fairfield School for the Arts in Sydney. So if you're in that area, give him a shot. But getting back to today's episode. As teased, I'm speaking with my son, Mike. When he heard about the new episode type I was starting, he pleaded with me to discuss The Lion King, as he knows that it's fairly loosely based on the Hamlet story. Mike is also very interested in visual storytelling, which may become something of a profession at some point, but at least an interest. He's fascinated by the idea of psychological meaning behind design ideas, as well as creative storytelling. He is also in a phase, at age 15, in which he is challenging some of the media items he appreciated as a child and seeing whether he still likes them or not. I can safely say that he still likes The Lion King, but maybe not everything Disney. But I'll let him explain. Here it is, without further ado, part two of Shakespeare-adapted Hamlet. Okay, so in the first
first half of this interview, I was very remiss in that both of my other guests had their coffee mugs that had Shakespeare stuff on them. I didn't have any. I was wearing my Atari shirt for the first part of the interview. So uh, now I have my Shakespeare insults shirt on. Mike, do you have a, a favorite one that you're seeing on there? Uh, let's just see here for a second. Yep, um, go for it. I think I like lump of foul deformity. Ooh, that, that's a good one. That, that's a good one. It's like very personal. Yeah. You know, I, I can't remember what that's from. I want to say it's Richard the third, but I don't know. I like, I look at these and, and, and here I have a whole bunch of Shakespeare stuff on my show and I can't go, Oh yeah, that's from that. We were just talking with Nicole Vernon, who was my Hermia when I did Midsummer Night's Dream. And I think on here somewhere is canker blossom. Oh geez. Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, grow that canker sore in your tongue right now. So anyway, um, Mike, we're here to talk about a fairly particular adaptation that when I have had former students who have been like, well, I haven't seen any modern adaptations of Shakespeare. I'm like, yeah, you have. I guarantee you, you have. There's one essential to, I mean, if you're an American child, this is peanut butter and jelly, um, the Lion King. The Lion King. And they're like, no way. I'm like, it's Safari Hamlet. That's what it is. But there are some differences. But hot take, we just started. We we watched part of it the other night just to kind of get refreshed. We watched the first half. So what are your takeaways right away? Well, right away, I was just saying, because we also were kind of watching Hunchback. Uh, last week we finished that. Mm -hmm. I was kind of looking for like coloration in the villains right there. Yeah, colors. You were like, yeah. oh, colors, there they go. And I was like, okay, save it for the show. What's yeah. up? So what I was kind of realizing there was Mufasa. The king. Uh, yeah, yeah, the king. He was like very, whenever they were talking about like circle life crap, he was John Simba around. Uh -huh. He was very, he blended into a situation very well, but also he, he stood out in a way, but not like a threatening way, you know? Okay. Um, okay. But I was also realizing with that, uh, whenever they show Scar in that first little bit, he's mm. always in a shadow somewhere. Now, I mean, I see that. You know, it's when you're making something that is for a wider audience. And frankly, I mean, that's what Disney animation is. They're trying to make something that is air quotes, family friendly, which right. I guess for the purposes here, we'll define as something that both. Uh, adults and children can enjoy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's always those things in those Disney movies where it's like, you know, when Simba lays down on a tuft on the top of a butte and the seedlings go spreading off into the sky, that's, you know, Rafiki catches them and spells them and goes, oh my God, Simba's alive. But if you look closely, it does spell out S-E-X. Mm -hmm. And and that's something fun for the adults to enjoy. <laughs> You know, here you are, fifteen. These are not things that are that go over your head anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So when you have a villain, you're setting that up for people to immediately recognize this is the bad guy, right? Okay. I mean, that that's one of the things about Disney is they like to set things up as kind of a melodrama. You've got your good, you've got your bad, bad versus evil. You got to set it up early. But yeah, interesting coloration because uh -huh. you're right. Mufasa is in these grand gold and brown colors because he's he's the majestic lion. Right. But again, it was like the, you know, very fascist scene. Of, oh, my God. Like, it was only really that time watching or it was like, oh, this is lion Hitler and Mufasa. Right. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, I think about that. So we're talking about the scene around the song uh, Be Prepared. Right. When Mufasa is assembling his army of hyenas and they're goose-stepping 
<laughs> yeah. Well, not Mufasa, it's Scar, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, um, Scar is singing that, yeah. But I still love what we were talking about last night. We get to that scene where he's in the valley, mm-hmm. and it's just... Uh, just for the kids, you have to put in that line, oh, yeah. it's to die for. It's you know, to die It's just like, for. Mom, keep the bad guy! Yeah. Keep the yeah. bad guy! <laughs> and the adults are like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we knew that. <laughs> yeah, but like I was saying... Scar just really blends into his territory really well right there. Mm-hmm. Like, his colors almost get dulled a little bit, I'd say, just because he matches in with his environment so much. It's- so that's some interesting cleverness there in, you know, as we're talking about it as an adaptation of Shakespeare. If we're saying he's blending in, you, you're you not seeing him for what he is, right? Right. Like, there he's being very treacherous to Simba, young little Simba, and convincing him, okay... Because honestly, I think Scar was like, yeah, we're going to kill both Mufasa and Simba in one blow with this uh, uh, buffalo stampede. But yeah, that's interesting because here's here's a hot take I came away with. Okay, so we're saying this is Safari Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. The basic storyline of Hamlet is there's an heir to the throne who uh, finds out that his father has been murdered and it was his uncle who murdered his father. And then, you know, he's got to grapple with whether or not I take back the throne or not. That's about the only plot line in that that I went, okay, that's that's definitely Hamlet, and I can see that in Lion King. Mm-hmm. Scar in this one, like if you go back, I, I mean, I'm sure people can make an argument for this, but Claudius in Hamlet is not portrayed in the lines, in the script, as super devious. Like I said, I think you can make an argument to say, yes, he could be very, very villainous, but at the same time, he's also trying to show that he wasn't the one who murdered his brother and married his brother's wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I saw in this scar was something more akin to an Iago from Othello. Or, yep, I'm going to go ahead and say the word. Go ahead and plug your ears if you're superstitious. Somebody like Macbeth. who is... <laughs> There goes Mike running around the building. Okay, he's back. Uh... <laughs> but, yeah, Scar was more like initiator of all of this yeah you know uh so when you're talking about hamlet i think i think those things you bring up like the color the coloration the shadow and everything is to disguise that he's the bad guy well i'd say it's more to like put contrast between him and the hero to definitely say he is the bad guy ah yeah because again and about every single scene he's in even when he's in, like, Scar's lair that's been darkly lit the entire time. Right. When Mufasa walks in, he's in this giant ray of sun. It just follows him <laughs> going through that. And as Scar's walking out, he's walking right into the shadows. Right. It's almost following him. That's so funny. We talked about the Benedict Cumberbatch Hamlet, where one reviewer was like, I would probably enjoy to have seen Benedict's performance if he hadn't been lit so strongly that I couldn't see his face because it was like he was wearing a halo. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, we were talking about the gathering of the fascist scene. One thing I thought about that was here is a great setup for a villain. A villain is telling you their intention and what they want to do with it. And it it just made me think of so many of Shakespeare's good villains, you know, and that's, that's another thing about a tragic character is they don't believe that whatever trait they have is going to be their downfall, you know? Yeah. And this is, this was a thing where it kind of flipped the script just a little bit because, you know, we still got to have a hero. We still got to have a good guy. So in, in the end, Simba becomes a good guy. He's not the one that goes like 
it would be a totally different movie if he went back to the Pride and showed everybody, no, this is the evidence that Scar is actually the person who murdered my father. Yeah, it's not courtroom drama in the Savari. Right, Hamlet. right. But that's that's how Hamlet does. Hamlet sets up the play oh, within yeah. a play and shows everybody. Well, I mean, he shows everybody the play, but he's only got his buddy uh, Horatio. He's like, hey, watch my stepfather. And if he has a really big reaction to this play, then then we know he's it, right? Didn't really happen here until the end of the movie when Scar flat out tells Simba, I killed your father. I think it's the structure of tragedy that might be hard right. for kids to understand. Yeah. Like, Wait a minute, the good guy is also the bad guy? Like, how do I how do I separate yeah, that? Yeah, I also think, like, just for that, like, of course, it's with lions. You don't want to see lions explaining it away to each other about <laughs> how this happened. No, you want to see the two big male lions duke it out. Duke it for, out, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that happens, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But but you know at the end it is still not Simba who kills Scar. No, it is. Oh, there's your tragic element. Yeah, it's his own ambition. It's well, him telling the hyenas, "I'm going to provide everything for you," and then he can't. Right. Ooh. Which I was also thinking through that. I think another thing Disney does really well with their colors, especially in those mm, Renaissance yeah. films. And again, going to go back to Frollo and Hunchback here because oh, this is a really good example. That was really good. And really close to this, when Paris is on fire, is the only time Frollo blends into his environment. Oh. It makes, because it's like, that's what he wants. That's his perfect world right there. A world on fire. A world on fire chasing his gypsy. Um, But, um, <laughs> fire of his lawyer. again, really similar to Scar is because, you know, his black mane almost represents like the death he's causing. Like right, it's just right. so barren. Then the right. orange is also the fire of him just kind of burning down. Yeah, you know, well, not him directly, but yeah, yeah, because it's so dry and stuff. Yeah, he, you know, he actually blends in really well to all mm -hmm. that orange fire there. Yeah, and I think that's particularly clever because you know you're flat out telling these youngsters that this is the bad guy. This yeah. is bad guy. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas Shakespeare's treacherous people like i said earlier iago blends in and still you know to all outward appearances is othello's best friend mm -hmm. and he's the one pulling all the strings in the background Mo. interesting yeah interesting so coloration uh look for it folks it's actually a thing in those in those disney renaissance years of like little mermaid on i would say for about 10 15 years after that right yeah, when people so. have to put actual work into shots right there. You know. <laughs> when they plan them out ahead of time. Yeah. So there was a couple other things I was thinking in relation to Shakespeare and how this could be updated from Shakespearean text is the whole concept of the circle of life. Mm. You know, I mean, they make such a point of it and tell you, okay, this is... This is the importance of the world around us. Like, if if this delicate balance is thrown out of whack at all, the whole thing might fall apart, and it's going to take a lot to get it back together again. Right. I mean, Mufasa's flat out telling his son, like, yes, we eat the antelope, but our bodies then become the grass when we die, and the antelope eat the grass. Mm -hmm. So we're all part of the circle of life. Right. And if you take one of us out without a reason, chaos that's that's Scar's whole plan. Mm -hmm. And then we see that actually come to fruition when he's like, 
okay, cool, hyenas are coming in too, and everybody's going to be fine. Right. And it's not. <laughs> they have a famine. Yeah. And not just a famine, the water's gone. Like, how did that even happen? <laughs> Nature just went, you know what? This place is not worth my time. <laughs> it's like reverse God flooding the world. It just takes all the water out of that situation right there. It almost makes me think like there's some underground, some underworld that's like, oh, you, you, you're going to let the hyenas come in, huh? Okay, uh, I hope you don't enjoy your water. That's oh, God. <laughs> See, the people can get uh, quite thirsty around here. That'd be quite a shame. <laughs> they weren't able to drink any water. Good Lord. Oh, man, that's funny. But yeah, the thing that's interesting to me about it is, yes, on one hand, it does have that whole Hamlet aspect of the heir of the throne being denied the throne because of his uncle and then finding out the truth. But he doesn't find out the truth until the end. But he still has the struggle, which is interesting. Right. He has the struggle of, is it my duty to go back and reclaim the throne? And that's where he meets... In effect, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this story, Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah. Just teach him, ah, don't worry about it. Right. It's not to be or not to be. Yeah, how about not be? Let's just, yeah, it's okay. Or, you know, we, we could be as well, you know. <laughs> I don't care. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I, I, it makes me think, like, okay, I mean, that's an easy thing to do. It's like, you know, honestly, when you put it in perspective, you've got... You've got a very divided country right now, uh, the United States. It's very politically divided. And even I, this morning, you and I went out to breakfast with your grandmother, and I saw a guy very proudly emblazoned across his chest. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah. Like, <sighs> I mean, like, not to okay. get too political, but I yeah. think it's just like, it's so black and white. Yeah. Now. Right. That's really all it is because it's either. You're way over on this side, or you're way over yep. on this side. There is no in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so incredibly divided and it's extreme. Mm. And the funny thing is, whoever is in the presidency, whatever side is opposing it, thinks that that one person is responsible for everything that's going on. Well, yeah, because it's easy to say that. It is easy to say that. And it's also easy, I would say, in The Lion King, for these characters to assume that, well, if I were king, things would be different. Well, I think it's also, like, I'm not trying to say animation is only for kids, but it's very def. this movie is definitely targeted for a younger audience, I'd True. say. Mm -hmm. uh, it's built for everybody, but definitely, you, it's five-year-old kids and up, you know. But I think it's just, that's a lot more complex than you can really understand, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Scar cannot just randomly save a person in this movie because that kind of affects, like morality who's like is he the bad guy wait why is why is he getting yeah. up you know well i mean i just think about how many times we've seen in plays or movies or tv shows where somebody is just blaming the person at the top of the ladder and saying you're the person that's doing this right. i mean i love hearing that from everybody right now it's like thanks biden for making gas prices so high i'm like i guarantee you he does not have a knob in his office where he's like just toggling a little bit and going no i'm gonna make it a little bit higher i'm gonna make it there are more things going on there i mean he does have his double double chocolate chip button there you go <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but, but I think that's where Scar comes from. Then he gets the kingdom. And within 
a few years leads it to complete ruin. Right. You know, I mean, we have no idea how much that passage of time is. Simba yeah. goes from a cub to a full-grown lion in one montage. Yeah. And then you got to think, okay, so how long does it take for a lion to mature? Let's just say a year or two, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a couple years. Mufasa had everything running just fine. The elephant graveyard, it's like, we don't we don't talk about that place. But everything else seemed to be in perfect balance. Scar comes into power, goes, I could be a better king, and he's not. Yeah, and that environment isn't just like, it's not just deserted, it's dead. Like, it's, there's it's barren. There's no life. Yeah. There's no circle of life. But yeah, I, I love that idea that there's just one person and they're going to fix everything. I know what's best. Yeah, I um, know. Yeah. Now, oh, hey, again, there, there's your fascism. There's right your fascism. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> and you know the funny thing about fascism? They usually convince very gullible people to follow them. And those yeah, guys, hyenas over here. <laughs> <laughs> hyenas who were hungry and fighting amongst themselves anyway. One powerful lion who they look at and go, oh, that's a lion. It's obviously powerful. Well, it's also just, oh, he's got a plan. It was, we, we should follow him. It. I'm going to follow that. Ugh, oh, that, ugh, that's ugh, that's it, a little, that's way too close. Right? And, 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 and the plan is so super simple, right? Ugh. Follow me and you'll never grow hungry again. Or go hungry again. That's grossly dis- like that's grossly similar. Like, <laughs> like me and all your problems will be solved. And a lot of people want. You know what? That sounds pretty good. I'll make the trains run on time. <laughs> no, that like legit. That's oh, wait, yeah. That that's legit. What mm-hmm. Mussolini was saying to his people. That's because you know their government was just so gone. Anybody could come in and say, "Hey, I'm gonna do this, and if it happens, you should follow me." Um, yeah, I'm not supporting that, but no, uh, obviously not. It's awful, but there's reasons for it. I don't know. Maybe it's just my bias because I'm always proud of my son, but man, does Mike make some interesting points here. Both my kids have brought up some amazing commentary on this show, but speaking of commentary, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to write me at trident at tridenttheater.com, follow the show on Instagram, shoot me a message there, whatever. What Shakespeare play should I take on next? So many of them have been updated countless times, but I'd love to hear from you. Maybe your comments will make it into a future episode. Maybe you'll be featured in a future episode. Who knows? But that aside, let's finish this one out. Here's the conclusion of the second part of Shakespeare Adapted Hamlet. So, I think, what do we think? As as far as an adaptation is concerned, there were some notes I was looking up from the first part of this episode as far as why we adapt. So I think we can agree it's a general, very generalized adaptation of of Hamlet. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't 100% follow this story, but then again, Hamlet doesn't 100% follow the myth that it's based on. Right. Uh, there are sources that say Shakespeare didn't even have the full text of Amleth. He just kind of went... Well, I saw this play, and I can get other scripts, and and I'll just write one based on that. Yeah, I mean, I think since it's Hamlet is a lot more complex than say something like it's been adapted like Romeo and Juliet or some. God, how many of those have we seen? So many. 
<laughs> but yeah, I think this is such more complex idea. There's a lot more you can change out of it, you know? Yeah. But from this, it's a kids style musical from Disney. And that's a good point. It's a musical too. And yeah, I'd say, I don't know about this. I mean, Sweeney Todd's the really only thing you think of is like a dark musical. Dark musical with a, a revenge theme. With a revenge theme. Yeah. There's not really that revenge element in Lion King. It's more just doing the right thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's one of the strong themes in the original Hamlet is, is vengeance worth it? And I, I think... All of us can agree, based on the pile of bodies at the end of Hamlet, uh, no, it's not. No. <laughs> but that's not Simba's issue, no. which is funny. It Because through the whole thing, they set up that situation really well to have Scar tell Simba, hey, this is probably your fault, and you should probably run away. Yeah, which that whole scene just makes me feel icky. <laughs> it's like... Perfect example of gaslighting right there. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Scar has his aces up his sleeves. It's kind of scary as well, because even at the beginning, he's like, he knows he's got a plan. And he knows it'll work. Mm -hmm. But it, just the confidence of that yeah. is disgusting, but amazing at the same time. Well, if we think back to it, why did Hamlet go on his quest? Because he was told the ghost of his father was haunting the castle. He goes and sees the ghost of his father. The ghost of his father tells him, I was murdered and it was your uncle and you've got to take care of all of this. We kind of get that later on after he's told by Nala what Scar has done to the kingdom. And then he has this vision quest with his father yeah. ghost in the clouds. All right. Who, I gotta say, like, that, that is one of the funniest transitions from a character from life to death as far as their perspective of their own son. You know, there's that scene where he's punishing him for disobeying him, and then they make up, and, and he says, uh, I'll always be with you, you know, and everything. And yeah, here he is, and he's like... I just love that one line and with James Earl Jones' voice going, you are more than what you have become. Like, oh, thanks, Dad. Thought you'd be cool with whatever I do with my life, but uh, <laughs> then I'm not going back and taking your throne is, uh, well, I appreciate the admonition, and now I have yeah. direction. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's an interesting difference, though, there instead of, hey, this person killed me. Can you, like, get revenge or something like that? It's This one is more of a get-your-shit-together call. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's a room, and, and, and <laughs> I love how you put that. Uh, it definitely is a get-your-shit-together, but it's also kind of a reminder of duty. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's something to be said for the life of Timon and Pumbaa where they're like, hey, I just live in the jungle. I eat bugs. I'm satisfied. I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be. I have no natural enemies. Cool. Let's do this. And I mean, that's valuable to a point, but it's different when you actually like there's consequences if you don't do something else. Right. You know? Right. And and sorry, Simba, you were born into this. This is what you were supposed to do according to this circle of life. Yeah. You're not doing it. So now you have to grapple with that. Okay. We get a short scene of him grappling with the idea of whether or not he's going to go back or not. Mm -hmm. And then Rafiki hits him over the head and he goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, jeez. Should that have happened to Hamlet? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Just him sitting out there monologuing and somebody comes in. What are you doing? I, I don't know. And somebody just hits him and goes, hey. 
Your uncle's being a dick. Snagada! <laughs> Snagada! Okay. So a couple more, like, just takeaways that I saw from this that are kind of interesting. Yeah, you said it was a musical. Mm-hmm. Written by Elton John and his no. and Tim Rice. They had just done Aida for... No, they hadn't done Aida for Disney. This was their first project together, was doing this. And then it turned into this huge musical. And I never looked it up. I haven't seen Lion King yet on stage. I can't remember where the intermission is. If it's after Hakuna Matata, what? Ah, oh, man. Maybe we'll have to go see that this summer. Anyway. Um, well, I mean, we are, but... Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> but the fact that it's Elton John also brings up another point that I, I, you know, I'm no animation historian, but I think this might have been one of the first animated movies to have, like, a full celebrity cast. Hmm. You know, I mean, you have... Sometimes Disney, uh, like we said... Um, Hunchback, and I think Hunchback came out after this. Yeah. So you have a few celebrities in there. I mean, you have Jason Alexander as one of the comic sidekicks. You know, he's a character on Seinfeld. Um, Tom Hulse was uh, really famous for playing Mozart and Amadeus. Kevin Klein and Demi Moore. That the that's that cast. But let's talk Lion King. You have Mr. Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Ferris Bueller. God, I can't even think of his name. Matthew Broderick as Simba, you have James Earl Jones, you have Jeremy Irons as Scar, your villain. Yeah, I I will also say with our sub before setup, um, James Earl Jones' voice literally shook our room <laughs> while watching the movie. Um, I'm actually kind of mad we didn't watch up to the cloud scene because I can imagine. Oh, just God. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes me want to go back and watch uh, A New Hope again, but. I don't know why I bring that up. I just think it's kind of an interesting fact that this movie seemed to be so important that it got all of those people out. I mean, two of your hyenas were Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech, you know, <laughs> and, and and you have Nathan Lane uh, as Timon and, and Ernie Sabella, both Broadway stars, uh, just uh, outstanding cast. I don't remember his name. Who's the bird? Oh, it's Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, Rowan Atkinson. Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean is in this. (laughs) Which makes me think, I wonder if they were pitched. This is going to be a a loose adaptation of Shakespeare. Because that's something that a lot of actors will do, is when they know that they're going to be connected to a Shakespeare thing, they go, oh, okay, that sounds important, and I'll do that. Well, I think it's it's also like, wasn't this like halfway through the Renaissance, something Mm -hmm. like that? So there's like yep. Disney had really got they up their game, yeah. Like that yeah. So I mean, you, you're talking about Little Mermaid and the Beauty and the Beast, which, as an animated movie in 1992, got nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, which is amazing. It's amazing, and it's still an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And then they turn that into a stage musical, and it goes and blows away Broadway for a year or so, right. and and now it's you know part of the canon. You can just do that play. I mean, one thing I do kind of realize that happens after, mm-hmm. on a kind of unrelated side note here, <laughs> is, like, um, the movie seemed to be more important than making it to Broadway, essentially. Yeah. Did um, you kind of bring that up watching it last night? I'm um, talking about, like, yeah, it's definitely, like, um, this meant for Broadway, so you need something like that. We need a fun little musical number we can put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, the movies after that, it wasn't really there, so it was more focused on 
the storytelling. Yeah. It's like okay. that. So it was like the movie itself was going to make more money than the Broadway thing. And I think Disney realized that. Well, as as a movie on its own, I mean, yeah. Lion King is so... I, 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 I think... Uh, Gosh, where? Oh, it was when I did that hightailing through history episode. Uh, one of the hosts there said it was Lion King is the highest grossing uh, musical that has ever been made, and I'm like, well, I understand that. I see that, you know, with world tours and the long. I mean, it's been running on Broadway since 1997. Jeez, and that's after COVID. I mean, it it came back right after COVID, mm-hmm. and it's still doing strong. Well, yeah, playing eight performances a week. But let's see what what else did I have here that's kind of fun. Oh, <laughs> you brought up Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I have not seen it, but after this renaissance that you talked about, Disney started to do a bunch of direct-to-video sequels. Oh, jeez. And... That, that is a really bad... Oh, it was so... Yeah, like you go to a store and there's Little Mermaid 2. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. There was more of that story to tell? And my my guess on the first half of it were like... You know, there are those stories that, I'm sorry, there is no story here. Uh, We talked about the Rosalind TV show based on the character that doesn't even appear in the play Romeo and Juliet. But this is the reason that Romeo is so heartbroken before he meets Juliet. And when he meets her, he's like, it's my girl. So reminder, kids, Juliet is a rebound girl. Okay? Oh, jeez. That ended... In six deaths, mind you. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one of these episodes on Romeo and Juliet coming up. But oh, I just want, that. I'm gonna remind everybody that um, these were teenagers doing teenager things in love. Uh, you know, I, I I don't agree that it's the great love story that everybody makes. You know, you should really do a drinking in with that. And every time you say Leonardo DiCaprio, you take a shot. You would be wasted uh, by the end of that. Done. You'd be. De- I think you'd die of liver failure. Like you just. But here's the thing: The Lion King two, subtitled Simba's Pride, is supposed to be based on Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. I don't know the story. I think loosely based on what I've heard, it is about maybe two prides coming together or something. Oh, yeah, like, I think maybe Scar's descendants? Like, what? you find out he might have had descendants, and one of them falls in love with no. Stimbas, and they're gonna, oh, warring families, and, but we're in love, what do we do? Like, oh. how about don't make that movie? Because yeah. there's hey, no story that, Oh, my Lord. After Simba takes back Pride Rock. There's no more story. There is nothing. God, that is just like peak Disney money right? right? crap. Because like that's the thing though, they can do really great stuff, mm-hmm. but it's also they, they kind of just get blinded by oh my god, we made so much money. Yeah, let's oh. do that again. Let's make just a little bit more money off of that kitty. No, uh, let's make a lot more money yeah. off of that. Because oh man, yeah. let's say let's slap it on another little plastic mm-hmm. lunchbox. Uh huh. Get and, the mer- yep, and put it in a little clamshell video case. Oh, I've geez. only got a handful of those left. But okay, I'm gonna end this. I just want to get your reaction because here I'm talking with my son again about weird and uncomfortable things. But you're growing up. I mean, you're 15. You've been through that awkward day in fifth grade where they're like, "Okay, all the girls go to the gym. You're having oh, to the gym. Oh, okay, and boys, you're gonna stay here and we're gonna watch a film strip. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna get hair in weird places and start thinking the uh, lots of thoughts. Okay, cool. Oh, okay, here we go. Ready?" Hmm. The end of...
Little Mermaid. Mm. Eric, Prince Eric and Ariel get married. And you get the idea they're going to go live happily ever after. The end of Lion King. Simba takes back Pride Rock. And at the end of the movie, a new heir is announced. Which means that Simba and Nala got down. Oh, I know exactly. The Little Mermaid 2 is about Ariel and Eric's daughter. Which means now we have to know that Prince Eric and Ariel got busy. It's an interesting point. I thought you were going to bring up the whole fact that Nala mm. is kind of like Simba's half. Oh my uh, god! Was... Wait, okay, everyone has mentioned this, but it's just like, even in the scene, so unless Scar, mm -hmm. you know, made uh -huh. that, yep. which is highly unlikely because he's the less dominant lion, mm -hmm. if you know a little bit about that. Right. So, yeah, I don't see any other male lions there. Nope. So, oh, that was, and we noticed that last night in the scene where Simba wakes up Mufasa to go, Hey, you're gonna show me the kingdom today. He runs into the cave, and all you see are a pile of lionesses laying there sleeping. And then there's like a little pedestal out of rock where Mufasa and Queen Sarabi are sleeping. Mm -hmm. No other male lion. Oh, yeah, which means that Nala and Simba are probably half siblings. Yeah. Which makes the creepy bedroom eyes from a lion later in the movie even more uncomfortable. And you just wonder why more of those lions don't have like really awful teeth or like a, an eyeball right in the middle of their forehead. And that's the only one they got. Inbreeding. See the royal family of Britain. Um, oh, God. I do want to ask you one more thing, though. Huh. Um you had some particular comments about the live-action remake of The Lion King. Oh, boy. Here's, oh. A, here's another reason. Why do we adapt? Here we go. Okay. Go for it. Okay. So, I think there are some good things that can come out of an adaptation. Like, mm -hmm. changing it enough. Because Lion King is very different from Hamlet. It's kind of just like basic blueprints. Yeah. Except a kindergartner drew the house. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. You, can make, you can do a lot of different things out of the little, you know, got a triangle right there. Got a square right there, a door and a window. You know that whole yep. shebang? We got it. You can make a lot out of that if you're an engineer. Mm -hmm. Now, let's do that, except it's 3D. <laughs> that seems like a really great idea. And okay. it's exactly what we were talking about earlier, about it, just money-hungry Disney. Okay. Right there. Let me let me put a pause on that. And, I, you know, this is, this is one of the first, I think it was like the second one. Jungle Book was the first one. Like the live action remakes, I think. I, okay. Or maybe it was Beauty and the Beast. I don't know. I can't okay. keep track. I, I don't mind the Jungle Book remake because yeah. that one was made in the 40s. Okay, okay. Like, yeah. obviously... Well, like 60s, I think. Well, but like, yeah. still, that's been a lot longer time than the 90s. Than the Lion King in the 90s. Which, what, that... The Not even remake yeah. came out in, like, 2015, right? Or yeah. something like that. So it hadn't even been, like, 30 years have you seen it. Right. Which... Here, we're going to talk about this right now. Big hot topic. Boom. Um, the, they're remaking Moana. Yep. Live action. Just, yep. you know. They're turning cartoon people into real people. Using the same people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what I was saying was, you know, why do we adapt? Well, okay. So in 1995, when the, the animated Lion King came out, the hand-drawn Lion King, we couldn't do the things with CGI that we can do today. So you have the opportunity to retell this story with almost photorealistic accuracy to nature. 
you know, the opening scene, the Circle of Life song, you see the actual zebras and the carpenter ants and everything. Uh, or I don't know. <laughs> hey, biologists, don't come at me. I don't know that they're carpenter ants, but ants on a branch. And and then, but then your comment was so great. Please. Um, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty neat looking lion right there, Disney. It's really cool that you can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the one thing I've realized about lions after looking at them for quite a long time is... Mm -hmm. They can't emote. They can't act. Not like humans. Not like humans. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean really. You, you, they, they can't, like, make facial expressions. You know who can do that? Hand-drawn animated lions. Yes, absolutely. And they can do that. They, they can, can do that. Do that. I mean, Weirdly enough. We can have Nala making bedroom eyes <laughs> Oh, you know, that's okay. Now that you put it that way, I'm actually kind of glad lions can't emote in that movie because now we don't, we don't have to see that. I don't have to be uncomfortable. Oh my um, God. But still, also one thing I've realized lions can't do in real life is talk. No. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just when you put an actual lion on screen that like mm -hmm. looks and behaves like an actual lion. Mm-hmm. And then it just starts speaking fluent English. Excuse me? <laughs> now, see, I there's an element to that where I'm like, I know I'm going into something where there's going to be talking animals. I know that. And so as the audience member, this is that whole thing about willing suspension of disbelief that I've talked about. You know, that willing suspension of disbelief is what guides us through the movie or the play. We can go, this is the reality of the place I'm living in. But even on the first half of this episode, my guests were talking about you know, it's so difficult to suspend your disbelief that far right. sometimes. Like, here's the thing. Have you seen the new trailers for the new Little Mermaid movie? Uh -huh. Like, I've just been keeping up on this because I know it's going to be a dumpster fire. And not because of the and not because of the person's race. Do not try to come at me thinking no. I'm a super racist, okay? It is has nothing to do with that person's skin. It is all to do with... The okay, what I haven't seen the Little Mermaid in a while, yeah, but I knew it was very vibrant and very colorful. Yes, the bottom of the ocean is not very vibrant and very <laughs> colorful in real life, unless like Aquaman, you can see, them. unless like see Aquaman, all the, see all those bioluminescent things. So, the thing is, making a photorealistic Little Mermaid makes <laughs> zero sense because the bottom of the ocean is dark, desolate, and cold. <laughs> and also, the thing is, okay, lions talking, that's okay, okay. But what's the little crab guy? A crab? Sebastian? They're making him look like an actual crab. Uh-huh. Crabs really can't talk. They don't have that they little structure. No. So also really have to suspend real, this belief. Yeah, I would rather <laughs> I would rather see a not so real looking, like kind of fake Sebastian with an actual like face. Okay. Instead of a predator monster that crabs are oh. in real life. Like, come on. Well, I tell you what. And folks, this, uh, uh, this, I'm not, we're not uh, endorsed by, we're not sponsored by uh, this show at all, but we have come in our family and uh, I'm, yes, it's a TVMA show, but we have come to really appreciate the animated series Primal. You can watch it on Max. Yeah. Terribly anachronistic, but it's about a caveman and a T-Rex who decide that they could probably survive better together. Yeah. But primarily hand-drawn animation. Right. And, but the thing is, as well, like I was saying here, T-Rexes in real life 
Yeah. Like, even though we don't have them just roaming around, mm-hmm. can't act. No. So if we yeah. had, like, again, this whole situation where it was a photorealistic person mm-hmm. and, a like, an actual dinosaur, yeah. you're not going to really have the not, same effect. You're not going to have the because, same effect. again, the yeah. thing is, with that show, I'm sure many of you know, it is fully, like, not silent, but there's not Yeah, there's no dialogue. Word. There's no, like... There's no spoken English. dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's been, like, a full sentence you can understand unless you speak, like, Egyptian or yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah, ancient Egyptian. Oh. Uh, yeah. But I, I think the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you're talking about these photorealistic animals that are supposed to be accurate to nature. And, I mean, look, I, I haven't been around lions enough, I guess, that I couldn't tell one from the other. You know, you might be able to tell subtle differences and things. We can tell Mufasa from Scar in yeah. the an- original 1995 hand-drawn animation. We can tell that. Right. Uh, you can probably distinguish that in the live-action version as well. But I think about <laughs> the live-action Little Mermaid with Sebastian the Crab, and it's a crab. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, how do you market that? How do you say this is this crab is indistinguishable from any other crab you're going to get in any gift shop at an aquarium? It's just a crab. Whereas... Sebastian in the original hand-drawn Little Mermaid is a cartoon character. Like, actually, that... you can perfectly picture yeah. Sebastian the Crab. Right. If I say his name. And, and, little, like... and there are stuffed animals that the kid can right. get. And I'm like, hey, Disney, I think you're missing the boat here. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe, oh. They're, maybe they're being less, less, more subtle about being uh, capitalists at this point. <laughs> What? Excuse me? <laughs> so, you Menadites, what do you think? Were these adaptations successful? Did the themes carry through to new types of audiences and different media? I guess, to be honest, there may not be a universal answer to that question, but as they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We all have our own perspectives. I want to thank Mike for joining me on this episode, and maybe he'll appear again on a future episode. But for my next episode, check this out, I'm going to tease it a little bit. By the time this episode will air, I will have just completed acting in a production of Noises Off here in Sheridan, Wyoming. The cast had a night off before our final dress rehearsal, so a few of my castmates joined me in discussing one of the most interesting actor rivalries in theater history. We'll see you in another two weeks, and I'll see you at intermission. Mm-hmm.